Hi and welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer behavior in the digital age and of course, all things influencer marketing in right around 15 minutes. I'm Frida Ekholm. And I'm Holly Morin. And today we're going to be taking a bit of a, a deep dive into the industry we specialize in, and that is, of course, fashion. But we will be leaving kind of the trend setting and you know, the taste vetting to Anna Wintour. Instead, we are going to be looking specifically at how the way we have marketed fashion has changed over the years. And it has been years because after the bare essential for survival were commodified, fashion followed shortly after. Mm-hmm. Vanity has been a facet of humanity uh, since presumably long before <laughs> records began because, oh my gosh, once they did, once we started recording anything about society, fashion became a real mainstay of, of you know, public discourse and documentation. Yeah, and anything that we're that interested in, we are going to sell. (laughs) And if we can't sell it, then we can market it. (laughs) We absolutely can, and we will. Um, Now, couturiers and designers of the past were definitely creative in how they marketed their wares. It would often be that salesmen um, would, you know, be shipped off off to to wealthy homes, armed with a collection of um, what were called Pandoras. And they were these little, you know, tiny miniature dolls wearing tiny versions of the dresses or the coats or whatever other garments that their designers could make which is cute yeah. right yeah that's so adorable <laughs> I kind of wish Top still did that I know I would I'd, I would want the Pandoras though like screw the clothes I want the tiny versions um so I don't you know we don't want to make out that old school fashion marketing was super boring because it really wasn't it's really interesting but this isn't a history lesson and they were limited technologically obviously and so a lot of the practices from the past aren't super helpful or relevant to modern brands. No, not so much. And so instead, we're looking at what's changed in much more recent times because that has been a lot of change. So with the big one being the sheer amount we are spending on clothes. Oh, God. <laughs> what's the damage? Have you got numbers? <laughs> well, I was just looking at the UK stat the other day, which showed an increase of 57% between 2005 and 2019 putting the spend that year at 58,725 million pounds on clothing alone (laughs) that's a lot of numbers (laughs) (laughs) yeah an even bigger number coming at you now get ready Mm -hmm. in 2021 the global apparel industry was valued at 1.5 trillion dollars with experts putting that figure at more like 1.9 trillion by 2026 oh my god so much money (laughs) yeah and this insane growth speaks to a lot of things but i do think the biggest reasoning behind it is the combination of social media and a bit more accessible era of fashion yeah i think we've you know we've definitely seen this real democratization of fashion in the last decade and a half I would say you know cheap used to be oh such a dirty word in the industry but so many brands have come in brands like you know Pretty Little Thing or ASOS or even Primark who really upped their game in recent years who have made it just a non-negotiable really that looking good shouldn't have to bankrupt you 
Yeah, but at the same time, people have given a platform to show off their sense of style on. They can post photos of their new outfit. They can create videos showing how they style a new booth, for example. Mm. And we've really seen, because of that, I think we've really seen fashion move away from the catwalks and the glossy magazines, and it's become much more of an everyman product. And with that, we've seen this real shift in who holds the power in the space, I think. Yeah, definitely. And before it was really all about the brands and the editors. Right at the top, the high-end labels would release their lines, magazine editors would judge them, and that was it. The style was set for like the upcoming next season. But whereas now, it feels much more like it's in the people's hands, you know? Mm. Trends are reflected on TikTok, and they emerge from it. And the teenagers nowadays are fashion powerhouses even if they don't always know it for sure and and I think to respond to this brands themselves have had to take a step back and really assess how they are pushing their products to market because traditional models traditional advertising just doesn't really reflect the industry status quo anymore yeah that's right so so big change number one consumers write the rules Mm mm-hmm (laughs) what would be the next big change for you (laughs) um for me I think it's going to be how difficult it is to stand out nowadays and a lot of these changes I think they do they do play into each other and influence each other because a a lot of why it's so difficult comes from the plethora of brands available nowadays but b it's also because the standards have changed I mean, if you think back to the big fashion campaigns, you know, when you were a kid or a young teenager, it was obviously so much more traditional. Yeah, I I immediately think of magazine ads of beautiful models, Uh, you know, the perfume, um, the advertising, they were on a horse in the desert or yeah. But also seeing how the landscape is now, it feels kind of crazy to think that was ever enough to make a consumer choose to spend money with a brand. Yeah, because I mean, what what does what does the model, what does the per, per, you know the beautiful person on a horse, <laughs> what do they have to do with you? How does that reflect your life? Not so much. <laughs> no, I'm I, I was in the stable a lot, but I did not look like that. <laughs> you know, in the winters, it was you know the helmet on, yeah. you know, the three three pairs of gloves. Yeah, cold ass. Yeah. But, but I don't think it's about brands not using models, right? Or even doing traditional advertising, because we still see some beautiful ads that follow that approach. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And I think that's important to say, because it's, it's, not, it's not as prescriptive as saying, you know, no models, no magazine ads. Uh, although, actually, I don't know how sold I am personally on magazine ads for marketing anymore. <laughs> that's, a different, that's a different podcast episode. <laughs> the important change here is that It's not enough to rely on one channel or even one message anymore. Yeah, consumer want, you know, the 360 experience. Yeah, they do. And, you know, maybe it's not even that they want it necessarily, but it's it's, it's just what it takes to cut through the noise nowadays. Yeah, I think that's it really. Because you might have, I don't know, let's say 10 big high street fashion brands competing for your attention in magazines or on billboards. And today you have, you know, the internet. Mm-hmm. So you have the whole internet full of brands who want you to shop or choose them. So where are you going to pay attention 
if it's it's, it's a magazine ad of a model you don't know, or is it a, a like, let's say influencer ad or someone recommending a brand? Yeah, because you, you're just you're not you're not going to pay attention if it's one magazine ad. Um, then that's I don't remember that. That's not going to stick with me. No. Instead, I think you know it's going to take multiple touches. It's going to need to span multiple channels and it has like you said with the influencers or the people you know that kind of peer-to-peer effect it's going the marketing in fashion now has to resonate with consumers on a much deeper level than that person looks pretty in that dress maybe I could also look pretty in that dress <laughs> yeah. yeah it's much more about like a brand narrative and a brand community nowadays so the conversation is much more back and forth between brands and their audiences rather than from the brand to the audience. Yeah, exactly. So now, the next change I want to talk about is the gradual move away that we've seen from the more old school campaign-based way of thinking. I don't think anyone who's listened to this podcast before will probably be able to talk along with this bit because I don't think we ever shut up about this. <laughs> yeah, join us. <laughs> yeah, we don't shut about shut up about it because it's important and it's true. <laughs> So like you said, there's a bit of a crossover here between this and the previous change because it is an offshot of the work brands have to do to get noticed nowadays. But I also think it digs deeper than that in that it's also getting noticed for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's how brands appear to be invested in their audience rather than just using them to turn a quick buck. Yeah, and actually... This, this also links back to the arrival of social media and it's, you know, that democratization of fashion and the retail landscape that we talked about. Because, like it or not, and plenty of brands won't like it, <laughs> plenty of marketers won't like it, social media is where consumers spend a massive chunk of their time nowadays. And it's where they consume most of their media and their information. Yeah, and there's so much media to consume on there. So especially with social media platforms adopting endless scroll interfaces nowadays, you know, TikTok, the two hour that you <laughs> thought were 10 minutes and the amount of information you can take in and the amount of marketing material you're exposed to is really like endless. Mm. So if you're banking on a single campaign standing out, then you probably need a bit of a reality check. <laughs> Just sit down and scroll on TikTok and you yeah. will. <laughs> See how much you take in. Yes. And it, but even if you do get noticed, it's just not it's not going to be enough to convert anymore. I don't think. No, not at all. And this is a shift that we've seen a lot of brands really struggle to adapt to. We've seen them come around to social media. We know that they get that, but we've even seen a lot of them come around to influencer marketing rather than relying on just traditional models. But the idea of leaving behind campaign-based marketing seems to be, you know, the struggle here. Yeah. And, that, and there'll be a lot of things behind that. You know, we know that it can be trickier to measure results if you don't have that kind of finite time frame. It can be a resource problem because taking on always-on approach is more work, you know, undeniably, yeah. no two ways about it. And I think sometimes it can even just be a creativity problem because brands simply aren't sure how to keep a conversation going on indefinitely. Yeah, it, it is difficult. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, when you, you just need to start somewhere. Yeah. So especially not when brands are using more, you know, one-sided billboard era marketing. But unfortunately, it is, you know, kind of tough 
Um, <laughs> I'd love to have a more constructive advice than just get going, just start. <laughs> you, you know, they, I, I'm like the person that when you say you don't want to go to the gym, I'm like, just, just go there. Yeah. <laughs> just go. It's, it's nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would love to be able to say, oh, here's the magic secret way that you can still make a one-off ad, one-off ad work for you. You know, work the wonder. But that's just not where consumers are at anymore. No, and, and brands need to move on from it, unfortunately. But I think, you know, that's kind of, and sure, we're biased, but that is kind of the advantage of influence marketing. It's like, you don't have to be creative. They will do that for you. That's yeah. their job. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, brands that you need to move on. We're sorry. <laughs> yeah, they do or they fail. Yeah. And on that bombshell, no, I actually, you know, I think we've got one, time for one more big change if we if we whistle through it. Yeah. And it's one that I love talking about, so I'm going to cram it in. Um, and it's the terribly unsexy sounding, but no less important, corporate responsibility. <laughs> we've all heard it, you know, the marketing <laughs> courses in school. <laughs> We're like, ah. <laughs> So it doesn't sound fun, does it? <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound fun, but... You know, for a for a bleeding heart millennial like myself, it is actual music to my ears because this is a byproduct of consumers writing the rules. It's the byproduct of everyone having a platform. It's consumers quite simply holding brands to account and demanding better for them. And that's really cool. Yeah, that yeah, that's super nice. That consumers mm-hmm. also can have that, you know, the the power and the voice yeah. so that they can really cut through and reach to these brands. Mm-hmm. And this spans so many different important conversations. Uh, Once we've had uh, with much more informed people than ourselves, of course. (laughs) So do look back through our previous episodes for some really interesting discussions around diversity, inclusivity, sustainability, etc. And it's something that we've seen in our own research uh, is a really important factor for consumers, especially younger, but also millennials, in deciding where they want to spend their money. Can you remember the exact number, Holly? Or do you have a, do you have a note? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I coordinated this research. Um, I, can't, I don't have the exact figure, um, not the early hour that we were recording this. <laughs> but it's, it's something close to 40%. I think it's like 39.45 or something. But for 40% of Gen Z shoppers, we found that a brand's history on social justice and environmental issues is going to directly impact how likely they are to give them any of their cash. But sometimes I think brands hear these stats like these and go, oh, okay, you know, we'll launch a one-off sustainable collection or we'll make our next t-shirt line out of recycled bin bags or something. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, this demand from consumers, it's, it's, it's all about authentic responsibility and a commitment to just, a genuine commitment to just doing the right thing. Yeah, and it's it's as much as, as a risk to marketers as it is an opportunity. Because if you do is do this well and if you do it, you know, authentic, mm. like the audience is here for it. Yeah. As long as you're doing your absolute best. Yeah. Like um Patagonia. Have you heard about them? Did you hear the Patagonia story? Yes, I did. It was all over the internet. All over. So if anyone hasn't heard it, and I you know, maybe you live under a rock, I don't know. But Patagonia, um, you know, ecological, environmental concerns have always been at the heart of them. They've always um, championed sustainability efforts. So the owner of Patagonia, who is a billionaire, I think, he um, he literally signed over the business to environmental charities. Environmental charities now own Patagonia. 
to ensure that they can continue that and keep that at the heart of what they do. And I just think, you know, yeah, that's perhaps a slightly extreme example of following through on ethical uh, promises, but it's it's important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but if you get it wrong, if you don't follow through or you inflate your efforts, then the audience will be quick and punish you. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's the point. Like, do it genuinely or not at all. Because particularly of social media, if you're found to you know come up short on those promises, your audience can make sure so many people know about it so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So the message for marketers and the thing that's changed really is that they have to take a really good look at their whole brand, warts and all. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you have to turn around and be perfect tomorrow, but you do have to not pretend you are because this audience knows a rat when they smell one. Mm -hmm. 100%. So I've probably, in fact, I have taken us a bit over time with that last little bit. So why don't we wrap up these four key ways um, that fashion marketing has changed. Um, So first one, consumers make the rules. Marketers and fashion brands can't approach their audience as dictators or even teachers anymore. Instead, they have to approach them as equals. They have to be reactive and respectful of consumer-led trends and responsive to whatever it is that is important to their audience at that time. Yeah. And the second, the competition is fierce and the marketplace is crowded, but the money is there for brands who are smart about their marketing. This means holistic, 360 marketing, putting the spotlight on people or things that consumers can see themselves in. It's a conversation, not a lecture. Mm -hmm. Third, It's time to call it a day on one-shot campaigns. They had their time. It was a nice, easy moment for marketers, but it's just not enough to get noticed nowadays. And it's definitely not enough to make your audience feel valued or like you understand them. And finally, number four, incorporate important values into your brand, but do it authentically, do it genuinely. These are not marketing gimmicks and they're not something you want to just pick up as a tactic one quarter and then put down the next. Absolutely not. And with that, I think it's time for us to draw this episode to a close. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's Influence Marketing Talks. As ever, we have been your hosts, Holly and Frida. If you do want to learn more about fashion marketing in the digital age, then you can head to our website, www.curemedia.com, or check us out on any of our socials. We're at Cure Media. But thank you again for listening this time, and we will see you back here next week for another episode of Influence and Marketing Talks.